So we are continuing in the Gospel of Matthew. We're in chapter 12, if you uh, want to follow along there. And last week we mentioned that Jesus, chapter 12 is really dealing with Jesus' authority. By whose authority does he do things? And he's being challenged in three places in chapter 12. He's being challenged in the area of the Sabbath. He's being challenged in the area of exorcism. And he's being challenged uh, at the end there in the area of, uh, I just, it just went right out of my head. Anyways, sorry. A lot of things going on this morning. But that question over the Sabbath, which we covered last week, Jesus makes some audacious statements. And if you remember, he, the, the disciples were picking some grain in a field, and the Pharisees, who are kind of the, the, the bad guys in the New Testament, and, they, and we'll talk about, and we've talked about them. They're not as bad as we th- think they are. They're, we kind of understand some of the Pharisees' line of thinking, especially when Jesus makes statements like this. He says, I tell you, one greater than the temple is here. One greater than the temple. That means Jesus is saying that he is greater than anything that takes place within the temple. You got to kind of let that sink in a little bit. So this means Jesus is saying, I'm greater than the sacrifices being made. I'm greater than the Torah being taught. I'm greater than the, the rituals that take place. I'm greater than the sacrifices. I am more important than anything that takes place in the temple. That's a big statement. And then he follows up when he talks about the uh, Sabbath. For the, son of, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. I am Lord of the Sabbath. I am over the Sabbath. I am more important than the Sabbath. Those are huge, huge statements. And when we talk about the Pharisees, I think that one of the things that we've come to sort of sympathize a little bit with them is that if someone were to walk into the door here and say, I am greater than anything that is taking place in this church right now. I am greater than your worship. I am greater than your songs. I am greater than the sermon. I am more important than anything taking place here today. We would have a hard time with that. Unless this guy came along and like maybe did a miracle or something. But even then, I think most of us, I know I would go, well, that's probably the Antichrist because the Scripture tells us that the Antichrist will come as an angel of light and he can perform miracles and stuff. So at the end days, you need to be aware of that. In other words, if someone came walking in making the claims that Jesus did personally, I would admit, I admit I would have a hard time just going, okay. I guess everything that I believe, my whole worldview is turned upside down. All my understandings are challenged, and I'm okay with that. And this is why the Pharisees didn't like Jesus, because he would say things time and time again, which just took their world and flipped it upside down. And so understandably, people don't like their worldview to be challenged. They don't like it when you challenge their understandings of God. They don't like it when you come in and you have a whole different story. This is why this fellow that we prayed for in Iran is is in trouble, and, and Christians who speak out in certain countries find themselves either jailed or with the threat of death because they are coming with a message that turns the worldview upside down of the countries in which they're speaking, particularly if they're in the Muslim countries, or it happens in other countries where you have a dominant religion that's another faith. And so the Pharisees don't like Jesus. 
They don't like him, and they understand what he's saying for sure, though. And this is why they don't like him, because they understand that when you make a statement like, I am greater than the temple, you are either all in with this guy, or you are all out. You, there's no kind of halfway, well, maybe he's, he's pretty good over the temple, but he's, you know, no, it's either he is greater than the temple, which means he is everything he says he is, which is an audacious statement. It's a statement that only someone can make if they are speaking as God. Because who is greater than the temple? Who is greater than the worship of God? Well, God. He's the only one who's greater than the worship of God. And that's what Jesus says he is. So either you are all in with this guy or you are all out. And most of the Pharisees at this time are all out. They're hearing these things and they're like, no way. In fact, it's not until after the resurrection that some of the Pharisees become Christians. If you read in the book of Acts, after the resurrection, there's a little quick little passage there that tells us that many of the Pharisees started joining the church, becoming part of the church, the early church, after the resurrection. Because the resurrection, in their mind, vindicated everything that Jesus had said about himself. But still, the Pharisees brought in their legalism, which became one of the first things that the early church had to deal with was this legalism. Could a Gentile, could a non-Jew become a Christian without first becoming Jewish? That's one of the big questions that are in the book of Acts. And they talk about circumcision, they talk about diet, and this is all because of these Pharisees brought within Christianity their background. So let's read how Jesus' authority here is being challenged, and this time he's being challenged uh, through exorcism. And he says this, the scripture says this, after he had spoken about the Sabbath, it says, Then they brought him a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute, and Jesus healed him so he could both talk and see. I find it interesting that if you read the Gospels, sometimes a person who's blind or something like that, Jesus will come and he'll just he'll spit in mud and put it on their eyes and tell them to go wash in the pool. Sometimes he just touches them and then touches them again. Sometimes he does something like this. He casts out a demon. It's all these different things, Jesus could kind of figure out, is this a disease, is this a possession, whatever. And all the people were astonished and said, could this be the son of David? And we talked about this title, the son of David, several weeks ago, that this is, this is a prophetic type title. But when the Pharisees heard this, they said, it is only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons. Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and every city and household divided against itself will not stand. If Satan drives out Satan, then he is divided against himself. How will his kingdom stand? And if I drive out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your people drive them out? So then they will be your judges. But if I drive out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come among you. Or again, how can anyone enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man? Then he can rob his house. He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. And so I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or the age to come. 
Now, I think this passage is one of the more straightforward arguments Jesus makes about who he is. And he, and he does this throughout chapter 12. He makes these statements that are just, they're, they're statements without compromise. And they're statements which force you to make a decision. He either is what he says he is, or he's not. There's no gray area in the statements that Jesus makes about himself. And plus, this, this passage also deals with this blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. I get asked about this all the time. So today we'll go through and kind of and give it the context of what he's talking about here. Because that particular phrasing confuses people and makes people nervous about their salvation all the time. And so we'll talk about that a little bit today. So let's get into it. So first, this passage starts with the Pharisees responding to the success that Jesus has had in his ministry, the success with the people. They're, they're, he's, he's gathering a large crowd of people because he's been healing. He's been casting out demons, and he's been preaching that something new is coming. The good news is coming. The kingdom of heaven is coming, and things will change. Those who are on the bottom, the last will be first. The first will be last. Things are going to change. And in this passage... The, the people bring a person to him to, be, to have this demon cast out. He's been blind and mute, and Jesus casts out this demon. And I find it interesting that the question that people have are not the questions that I would have. Because if I saw someone casting out a demon, you know what my first question would be? And this is my cynical self. I would be wondering, was that person even demon-possessed in the first place? Is this real, would be my question. And... Having lived around the world, you know, I've lived in uh, West Africa, I've lived in Southern Africa, I've lived in Germany, I've lived in the U.S. and several different places. I've only seen something that, that kind of looks like demon possession maybe twice in my Christian journey. And even then, there was a lot of questioning in my mind what was going on here. But I find it interesting that Jesus, when he talks to him, first of all, he points out that this is something that the people are fairly, it's a fairly common event because he says this, and if I drive out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your people drive them out? So it's an interesting question because in that question, Jesus is acknowledging that other people have been casting out demons. And we actually see it in the book of Acts. There's this one funny story that this guy tries to cast out a demon in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches. And the demon goes, I know who Jesus is. and I know who Paul is, but I don't know who you are. And then it says he beat the guy, and the guy had to leave. He ran out of the house naked and bleeding. Uh, but in this case, so, so you get this sense that the demon possession wasn't, wasn't the question that they had. They didn't ask, you know, is it, is it possible for Jesus to do this? They didn't really ask, you know, is it even real? They assume it's real. And Jesus even has that. By whom do your people drive them out? But the question that the people have is this. By whose authority is Jesus doing this? That's their question. They're not questioning if he is doing it. They're not questioning why he's doing it. They're wondering by whose authority is Jesus doing this? By whose power is Jesus doing this? And the Pharisees respond by just coming out of the blue by saying he's doing it by the power of Satan. They say Beelzebub. Beelzebub is, you know, there's a demon that was... Uh, you know, in the mythology of Judaism. And he has actually a specific place. He's the Lord of, he's either the Lord of flies or the Lord that flies. Uh, the translation is kind of iffy there. But in here, they're just basically saying they're using that name for the name Satan. It's kind of like we throw out sometimes the name Lucifer, which actually isn't biblically a correct name for the adversary, for Satan. But we throw it out there because 
because of a misunderstanding, frankly, of, of Isaiah. But they, but they say he's by, doing it by Beelzebub. And Jesus said, answers that by going, really? Hmm. I'm doing it by Beelzebub. And then he says to him, listen, every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined. Every city or household divided against itself will not stand. And this is true today. I mean, you can look at nations around the world that are, that are fighting amongst themselves. There's that civil unrest within. There's nothing more devastating to a nation's power than a civil war. A nation is actually stronger when it gets attacked from the outside because it tends to bring people together. But when they fight from the inside, that's when destruction of a nation takes place. That's when destruction of a kingdom takes place, when there's that internal strife. And so Jesus goes, eh, if we're going to say I'm doing this by Satan, let's think about that. If Satan drives out Satan, then he's divided against himself. And how can his kingdom stand if Satan's own worst enemy is Satan? And if I drive out demons by Beelzebub, well then, by whom do your people drive them out? So then, they'll be your judges. In other words, Jesus thinks that this is an enormously stupid argument from the Pharisees, and he says so. He says, this is just the dumbest thing you can come up with. Not only is it stupid, but it's also pretty insulting and disrespectful, if you know who Jesus is, that you would be accusing Jesus of using the power of Satan. But they don't know who Jesus is. And so that isn't really the issue. Jesus just says, this does not make sense. But then... He says something very important. This is the non-compromising statement that he makes when it comes to the area of exorcism. He says, but if I drive out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come among you. Now let that sink in a little bit because these are these statements that we tend to read by and don't really let them sink in. He says, if I'm driving the demons out by Satan, that makes no sense. Even a child can see it makes no sense for me to overcome the kingdom of the devil by the power of the devil. That's just idiocy. So then, who am I working for? If I'm not working for the devil, who am I working for? And then he says, Spirit of God. If I drive out demons by the Spirit of God. And then he says this, if I'm doing this in the name of God and the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come among you. And who is that? Jesus is that kingdom come among us. He is that very one. Again, this is another statement that is audaciously huge. When he says, if I drive these spirits out by the, by the spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come among you. He, and then he's, I'm that kingdom. This is one of those statements. You're either all in or you're all out. There's no halfway with this statement. This is one of these things you just kind of go, oh, wow. And if you ever have people who say to you, well, Jesus never says that he's God among us. Have them go to chapter 12 here and point out these statements because these are statements a person who can only make if they are truly God among us, if they have a supremacy of God among us. And this is a bold claim, brother and sisters. There's no wiggle room here. Either you believe it or you don't. Either you're on board with Jesus or you're not. And this is what he does to the Pharisees. He, very often, he pins them down. Now, they try and say these things to him, thinking they're going to get 
a way around him, and he, they always just find themselves pinned down with a question or a statement that the Pharisees either have to be all in or all out on. And then Jesus, he does this thing, he, he, he refers to himself as the strong man who breaks, breaks into a person's house. And Jesus does this. He, he makes uh, little parables and stuff, sometimes about things that we would see as negative. For example, when he talks about the kingdom of God is like yeast that works its way through the dough. To a Jewish mind, yeast is not a good thing to have working its way through the dough. In fact, over Passover, they have to make sure there's no yeast. Jesus one time talks about a dishonest manager that knows he's going to get fired, and so he goes to all his boss's friends and forgives all their debts. And Jesus says, that guy was thinking ahead. <laughs> and Jesus does that again here. He talks about a guy breaking into a house. He says, how, again, can anyone enter a strong man's house, strong man's house, and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man. Then he can rob his house. Jesus is referring to himself as the one robbing the house. He is coming in and he is robbing from Satan. The human souls that, that sin has claimed and is holding firmly in his grasp. And Jesus says he is the strong man who is able to come in, tie up the, the owner of the house, in this case Satan, and rob from that person those things that he was holding precious which were the souls of human beings. And then Jesus, after he says that, he who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather scatters. And again, verse 30 reminds us that there is no halfway. He who is with me, he who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather scatters. You either accept who Jesus is, you accept the truth, you accept the claims he made, or you don't. And regardless of what you believe and what you believe here or what you believe out there in, in the land of the online streaming, whether you believe the claims of Jesus or not, let us be very clear today of what he is saying. You may or may not choose to embrace it as the truth which with you're going to define your life. But let's be very clear that Jesus is saying what he is saying, that he is claiming this authority. And how you respond to the claims of Jesus is going to shape your life. It's going to shape your life for today. And it's going to shape your life for eternity. So let's be super clear. Jesus is making these statements of supremacy over worship of God, supremacy over sacrifice, supremacy over commitment. Jesus is placing himself as supreme over all. I'm greater than the temple. I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. The kingdom of God has come among you in his presence. Either you are with me or you are against me. Now, I'm going to take a little detour here as we come into this part where he talks about the Holy Spirit because it's important to understand the role of the Holy Spirit in this passage. Uh, we read in, uh, in, second, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, starting at verse 10, if you want to know what, what was read there, Dixon, just as a, a placeholder to remind, the Apostle Paul talks about the role of the Holy Spirit. But also in the Gospel of John, Jesus talks about the role of the Holy Spirit, and this is what he says. This is a detour now. We're going to come back to it. Jesus says, but when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. So he's talking about the Holy Spirit here. He will not speak on his own. He will only speak what he hears. Now, it's interesting that Jesus said of himself in the Gospel of John that the Son of God doesn't do anything on his own. He only does what the Father shows him. And then he's saying here, the Holy Spirit doesn't do anything on his own. He only speaks what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. And this is an important line in verse 14 here. 
He will bring glory to me. Now, what does the word glory mean? Glory means to reveal the character of someone or something. To reveal it, and usually we're talking about in a positive way. So like if a person finds glory in battle, what does that mean? Like that's usually what we often think about. Like there's a movie called Glory, and it's about the African-American soldiers in the Civil War and of the United States. And this idea that the, their courage was revealed, their hearts were revealed in the battle. That's why it's called glory. And when we talk about glorifying God, what we're talking about is we are proclaiming God's good attributes. When we sing songs of glory, we talk about his love, his patience, his forgiveness, those things which glorify God. And so Jesus says, the Holy Spirit will bring glory to me. In other words, he will reveal me by taking from what is mine, his character, his personality, everything that is Jesus, and making it known to you. And if you remember, Jesus said in the, earlier in Matthew that the Son reveals the Father. And here he says, and the Holy Spirit will reveal to you the Son. So the Holy Spirit really is the one that reveals to us who Jesus is, which then makes us aware of what our relationship with the Father is. And then he follows that up by saying, all that belongs to the Father is mine. That's why I said the Spirit will take from what is mine and make it known to you. We know Jesus. We see in Jesus the very character and nature of the Father. We come to know the Father. That's why Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one knows the Father except by me. If we want to know the character of God, how God thinks about things, how he deals with forgiveness, look at what Jesus did. If you want to understand God the Father, understand God the Son as revealed to us by the Holy Spirit. But if one rejects the revelation of Jesus given to us by the Holy Spirit, then this rejection of God's truth, which is revealed to you by the Holy Spirit, is the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. If you reject what the Holy Spirit has revealed to you as true and walk away from it, then that's the rejection of truth. And in this case, it's a rejection of truth that will carry you on a tangent, on a timeline, out into eternity of having rejected the truth of God. Which brings us back to our passage in Matthew. So Jesus says this. After he talks about, you know, that either you're with, he who's not with me is against me, he who does not gather, gather with me scatters. And then he, he looks like he's kind of taking a strong turn, but he's not. He's actually staying on the same thought process. He says, anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or the age to come, right? So let's use the example now of some of our Pharisee friends who do eventually become Christians. After the resurrection, some of the Pharisees go, huh? And they repent of their sins and they become believers. Now these Pharisees that repented of their sins and became believers were speaking against the Son of Man at a certain time. And you know what? Speaking against the Son is a fairly normal thing. Even to this day. How many people do you know who use the name of Jesus Christ as a swear word? You know, if something goes wrong, they go, Jesus Christ. That's speaking against the Son of Man. That's speaking against Jesus when you, when you equate the name of Jesus with the same thing as any other swear word you might say when you hit your finger with a hammer or something like that. Or you have people like C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis is considered one of the greatest apologists, writers of Christian literature in the 20th century. He started out as actually speaking against Jesus Christ. 
C.S. Lewis started out as an atheist. In fact, he published a book as an atheist, which was against Christ. And when he became a believer, it was in the process of him going deeper. He was going to be the bomb that was going to blow Christianity away. And he went into it studying Christ, and C.S. Lewis ended up becoming a Christian. And he ends up writing, spending the last couple decades of his life, writing some of the most powerful, apologetic, not apologizing like saying, I'm sorry, but apologetics is the defense of the faith. And probably one of the most famous ones, and if you haven't had a chance to read it, I would recommend it to you. It's called Mere Christianity. And he wrote this a fairly, fairly thin book called Mere Christianity. Now, sometimes Lewis's theology was a little bit, mm, and Lewis would say he's not a theologian. But he was a guy that spoke against Jesus. But then the Holy Spirit revealed the truth to him as to who Jesus was. And then he became a believer. Just like the Pharisees we read about in the book of Acts, they spoke against Jesus. And then the Holy Spirit revealed to them the truth of who Jesus was, and then some of them become believers. This is why Jesus says, you can, a word spoken against the Son of Man will be forgiven. I would dare say that some of you here at one point in your life spoke against Jesus. I don't know if I believe in God or you used his name as a curse word. I, I certainly did. I can look at myself and say there were times I spoke against Jesus. And Jesus says that's going to be forgiven. As soon as the Holy Spirit enlightens you to the truth as to who I am, then you can repent of that sin, follow me as Lord, and everything's fine. A word spoken against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But someone that speaks against the Holy Spirit, what he's talking about here, if you reject the truth that the Holy Spirit is revealing to you, that will not be forgiven, either in this age or for eternity. And the non-forgiveness isn't a punishment. It's a consequence. If you refuse truth and walk away from it, then you live out the consequences of having walked away from it. So it's not really so much a punishment as he's talking about here. He's talking about a consequence. If the Holy Spirit says, here's truth, and you go, not for me, well, then you live with the consequence. That's all Jesus is saying. And that's not a consequence that you can, like, upon your death, go back and go, well, now I do believe. There's one death that we can look at to say, do we believe in this guy or not? And that's Jesus' death. Because Jesus was resurrected from the dead, and in that resurrection, Everything he said about himself is vindicated as true. Either you choose to believe that or you don't. And if the Holy Spirit has revealed to you the truth of who Jesus is, then you need to make a choice. Do I get on board with that? Or do I blaspheme? Do I say this truth given to me by God is untrue? Then if you do that, you, you have the consequences of that. It's not God being angry. It's not God being mean. It's not God being unfair. It's God just saying, here's the truth. What are you going to do with it? And if you do accept that truth, then it changes your life. If you do accept that truth and you understand it as deeply as, you know, none of us understand it as deeply as, as, we, as we should or maybe even could, but if you understand it to the place where you repent of your sin, you, you die to self, you say, my self-ruled life isn't going to be the norm for me anymore. I'm going to live a Christ-ruled life. 
If you allow the Spirit to work through your body, mind, and soul and point out those things in your life which are against Him and then you continue in that process of repentance and growth in Christ, this process is called the process of sanctification. It's the process of becoming like Christ. It's the process of becoming holy. It's where we get the word saint from. It's why you are the saints of the church. You have been sanctified by the Holy Spirit and at the same time, you're in the process of being sanctified. Now, I understand that this, this would be disagreed by some that say that the, the grace of God is irresistible and that you have no choice but to become a believer if you were chosen to be a believer. I think that those, these kinds of thoughts come from places where we're trying to take God and put him in a box that we can understand with our human minds. Because you look at the scripture and you have passages like these. It is clear that, the, that if you reject this, that's up to you. That's your place. If you walk away from it, there's another passage in Hebrews that says those who have, who have experienced the goodness of the Holy Spirit and yet walk away from it, there's no real place for them to go back to. So Jesus says this, and as a reminder, he tells us, listen, remember this, if I drive out the demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom has God, God has come among you. This is one of these statements that are black and white. Either you're on it or you're not. If he is the very authority of God's kingdom among us, then he has to be listened to. And then if he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father except by me, you better listen. If he says, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so must you love one another. We better listen. Someday I'd like to get together with the multicultural family of faith that we hear at IBCD and, and talk about the whole demon thing because that's, kind of that's kind of a part of this story which is a little bit set aside because their question isn't, is this real? Their question is, by whose authority do they do this? Uh, I think it'd be interesting to get together and have the different points of view just on those more basic questions. But the real point that Jesus is making here for us as, us as believers is... He is once again clearly presenting himself as the authority, as the very kingdom of God present among us. And I want to tell you something here today. If you have an understanding, if you can work out through the muddle of my words what is being said here, that is the work of the Holy Spirit. And if you're here today and you can work it out, great. You're probably already a believer. I think many of you are already believers. And, and in that, you take this in and you say, okay, it's just kind of a, a reset of this is what I believe, this is who I believe, and this is why I believe in Jesus. Because he said these things about himself. And I am on board with him. He's my Lord, he's my Savior, he's proven himself through his own resurrection, he's also proven himself personally in my life by fulfilling things for me again and again and again. I am on board with him. And even if I were to face a martyr's death, I would still be on board with him. And if you're out there and, and, and you... Have not, if you're not a believer and you understand what is being said today, if you've never made a commitment to Christ and you can understand the argument that I'm making today, then it's not my clever words, it's the Holy Spirit. And right now, you are having truth revealed to you. If you can understand what I'm saying about who Jesus is, the role of the Spirit, and his relationship with us. If you can get that and you're not a believer, you're having truth revealed to you today. And right now, you have to make a choice. Are you with them or not? Because Jesus says quite clearly, 
Those who are, who are not with me are against me. Those who do not gather, scatter. And if you're listening today and you're just like, I have no idea what that guy just said, then pray. Pray that the Holy Spirit will reveal to you wisdom. And if he does, you need to respond. It doesn't mean that we're not saying that in a scary way or anything like that. It's just the way it is. Either your yes is yes or your no is no once you receive truth. So as a reminder, we have in Jesus' statements as he goes through with his challenge being authority, very clear statements as to who he is. Last week he said that he is, he is more, he's greater than the temple. He is the Lord of the Sabbath. This week he says that if he casts things out by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come among you. And he's pointing back to him, and that's me. And he says, here, if you, those who are not with me are against me. Those are very clear statements. And when you, if you're a believer, and I think, again, most of you are, may this encourage you, may it just kind of dig your heels in, because this is challenged all the time. You have so many religions that want to challenge who Jesus is. Because if you can challenge who Jesus is and remove him from his place of supremacy, then you can bring in all kinds of things around him that take away from his power, and you have the form of religion but without the power of religion. And if you're not a believer and you understand what's going on, understand that this is the Holy Spirit then calling you and saying, I want you. And how you choose to respond to that is going to determine your life, not just the rest of your days on this world and this life, earthly life, but for all eternity to come. It's a big thing. It's a big deal that the Word of God became flesh and dwelt among us. It's a big deal that He spoke to us. It's a big deal that He died on the cross because in that is the exchange of His righteousness for our sin so that we can go, go through this process of sanctification, of being what it really meant to be as a person, as a man or a woman, created in the image of God and reaching that full potential of what it means to be a person created in the image of God. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word, and we do thank you that within your word, in many places, there are these very strong statements. And Lord, we pray that you would help, the, help us to, to see them. I think sometimes we read right over them, and maybe that's part of the spiritual battle that we're in with the enemy. But may we see these things. I think of the Gospel of John, it has all those I am statements. And the, probably the most famous one is the, before Abraham was, I am. And that's just one of so many. And Lord, forgive us for the times that, and I, know, I know we all are in this place, the times where we just kind of don't really allow the depth of the truth of who you are to penetrate as deeply as it should into who we are so that we can be fully transformed. And, and I'm the head of the class when it comes to that. But Lord, we pray that each day we can draw a bit more closer to you. Each day we can be sanctified each, a, a little bit more. Each day, you know, the, the character of Christ will grow strong within us and that we will become sensitive to hear the Spirit of God speaking to us so that we can glorify the Son who glorifies the Father. 
and we will all be one. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.